I go on in one and all, and welcome to the Literary Baptists. I'm Lee, and I'm here this evening with Nick and Maddie. Welcome to both of you. Thanks for being here. Thanks. Oh, gosh, you're so we never welcome. Know, we never know what to say. <laughs> That's the worst. We're just like, oh, hi. I'm an interview. <laughs> My pleasure. How's the weather? Man. We we had a we had a snow today. First snow happened. Wow. Hated we it. We had frost. So it's it just frosty. cold here. It's cold yeah. for us. It's like 40. In Louisiana, that's pretty cold. That that would be cold for Louisiana down in the swamp. Cold humidity really does stink. It's chilly. Yeah. That that like gets into your bones. See, we I we just have the dry air up here in the Buckeye State, so I just get like nosebleeds every couple weeks <laughs> when winter comes. But other than that, we're fine. So, well, I, so I, you know, we used to be a podcast that talked about Tolkien, but uh, let's do. <laughs> you you want to do a little roundup of what we've all been reading lately that isn't the Silmarillion? Let's Maddie, do what have you been reading? Ooh. Well, today I just finished finally uh, the Hound of the Baskervilles. Ooh, by Sherlock Holmes. Oh. That was a family read aloud. That was a lot of fun. I actually read it when I was in sixth grade, and I don't remember it at all. So it was it was interesting reading wow. it again. You weren't horrified, and I don't know. Maybe I like have PTSD, and I blocked it out. I'm not really sure. <laughs> It could have traumatized me as a child. I'm not sure. Might explain my why I ran through the hallways when they were dark at night and jumped in my bed. It seems you'd a lot more logical day. now. Yeah. You'd have been truly traumatized if you had read the uh, the Mormon uh, Sherlock Holmes novel. Oh. Oh, yeah. I have not. Uh, is that Sign of the Four? I think so. I don't know. I Wait, maybe I know. did. No, I read um, Sign of the Four. It had Mormons in it, but it wasn't as creepy as Hound of the Baskervilles. Oh, well, fine then. I just think... Never mind. Actually, Unless you're really afraid of Mormons. <laughs> I might be. Google it now. I think that's a study in Scarlet. Yeah. Yeah, I get study in Scarlet. I have them all in one collection, so it's very confusing because it's like, I don't... I'm very visual. And so when they have all the names together, I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. But anyways, Hand of the Basketballs was very good. Man, my, my first uh, introduction to that that work was uh, the PBS show Wishbone. Nice. <laughs> Solid. Yep. Wishbones. Yeah, really I, I can't even, I have not read Ivanhoe, but I can't think about Ivanhoe without thinking of a dog in oh, that's yeah. true. Yep. a suit of armor. <laughs> yep. Oh. When I read Phantom of the Opera, it was the same. Because <laughs> the Phantom was a dog. I think there was a Robin Hood one that I remember. Oh yeah, that's oh, a yeah. classic. That's a famous episode. Yeah, and I do remember outfit. him dressed up as Sherlock. Yep. Yeah, with the uh, with the hat. Uh, yeah, and the coat. Classic. Man, that's what a, a great show. show! 
man, I love I that think show. One of the important things to remember, though, is if a show was great when you were a child, <laughs> never watch it. <laughs> ruin it. Because you'll say, yeah. why did I ever watch this dumb show? <laughs> why did I enjoy this? So that's my rule. Wishbone, it was great, but I'm not going to watch it and ruin that. Speaking of that, you remember that annoying song that was like, this is a song that never ends? Mm-hmm. From Lamb Chop? Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. It actually doesn't yeah. say that. What? We... <laughs> what does it say? I I again it was a trauma experience for me to figure this out. But I think it's the song that doesn't end. Oh. But we always say it's a song that never ends. Sherry when... Lewis, 1988 album track, The Song That Doesn't End. Right. So why do we all remember it a different way? It's like a psyop. I don't know. Like, yeah, the song that doesn't end, also referred to as the song that never ends, is a self-referential and infinitely iterative children's song. It's like the people that that thought it was the Berenstein Bears when it was the Berenstain Bears. Yeah, yeah, but that one. What What do they call that? The Mandela effect. Yeah, because I guess people thought that Nelson Mandela had died in prison in the 80s, uh, which maybe he did. <laughs> maybe they replaced him like they did with Paul McCartney. Or Joe Biden in his <laughs> weird, Biden. weird chin. Oh, <laughs> uh, the ball bearing yeah. chin. <laughs> that was such a weird picture. Uh, and it wasn't just a trick of the lighting because it was he had... They got every angle on that chin, and it looked like it had two ball bearings in it. <laughs> oh, man. The pictures, just pictures in general sometimes <laughs> of Joe Biden always seem mm-hmm. so odd. There's mm-hmm. the one of him and, and the Carters, Jimmy Carter and his wife, where Jimmy Carter <laughs> looks like he's a hobbit. He looks like he's <laughs> maybe like three feet tall. Um, I love that photo so much. <laughs> Joe Biden is incredibly tall. Yeah, at least well, the one the one that I met once was incredibly tall. Now I'm not saying that. that's the Joe Biden that we have today, <laughs> but but the one that I yeah. met was was quite tall. <laughs> that makes sense. I haven't met Joe Biden. He he came he came to the county the the next county over from mine during the 2012. Uh, election cycle and did like a surprise drop in at like an old people restaurant. And so I was with the local paper at the time. And so I went and covered it and uh, he was walking around hugging ladies, kissing babies. Uh, he got down on the floor and played tractors with a little kid. St- like <laughs> he really did. I just, that. I just found the picture you're talking about. Nick. Oh, really? <laughs> I thought they were like ventriloquist dolls. It's such a good photo. I love that one. <laughs> I think they used fisheye lens or something. And so because know. they're on the outside, they look a lot bigger, but they look like the Car- they're like like wax figures or something. Yes. The Carters look significantly smaller. Have you seen this, Lee? Well, it's where the Carters are sitting down, right? Yeah, in the yeah. chairs. They're in that room. Yeah. 
man, it, it looks like they're ventriloquist dummies. <laughs> like even like you can see like like Joe Biden looks like he's got his hand like in Mrs. Carter's back. Oop, do, 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 do. <laughs> yeah. Oh I mean, my it gosh. Be. It's man, cameras are special. I really just the, wasn't expecting that. I thought you were being dramatic. I tell you, it's the kind of camera trick. It's forced perspective, and that is how we got hobbits on the screen. Uh, but, you, but you can also tell from from the length of her arm, she's a small lady, and he is a yeah. small man. Yeah, they're but like they kneeling next that to small. the chair, and like maybe the Bidens are Nephilim. Could be. Could I, be. I I went with the Carters being hobbits, but <laughs> but I guess that. But that's they kind of look like they're kneeling in a dollhouse. Yeah, it does. I re- yeah. The thing I appreciate as a short king is is how badly Jimmy Carter's pants are hemmed. Yeah, uh, I've oh, worn no. some of those hems before, <laughs> where you have to take like six inches <laughs> short. Yeah. He's uh just just stuff him up. We'll make a new cuff that won't <laughs> that won't go flat. Oh no! Yeah, they're hobbits. They're hobbits. Uh, wow. Okay. Man. So, anyways, I also read <laughs> Rebecca uh, by Daphne du Maurier, and I think I talked about that the last time, but it's so good. So, if I did talk about it. It's still with me, uh, and I would read it again. I think I, I think I bought it on Kindle at your recommendation, but I don't have my Kindle nearby. The scariest thing about recommending a book is that you talk it up too much, and then somebody reads it and is like, "Eh." eh. <laughs> but just because I, really I liked it doesn't it. mean you will. Yeah. I really did enjoy it, though. In fact, I watched the Alfred Hitchcock movie twice after reading that book. Oh, man. Great. Great. Great movie. Yeah. I watched. How it. does it hold like... up? Is it a good adaptation? Yes and no. They changed the storyline for some of it. I think they kind of tamed it down a little bit. Hmm. Um, And I don't think that they quite did justice to the anxiety that uh, actually the main character, she doesn't have a name in the book. She's never given a name. Oh, so, interesting. Um, but she's she's very uh, insecure. And I don't think they played that up well enough in the movie. Hmm. Um, but that's kind of hard to do, I guess, in a movie. Because yeah. you're not getting that inter- internal dialogue. But um, And they did significantly switch some things around but i would say it was generally pretty faithful in fact like some very direct quotes and it's just fascinating i think watching a movie it came out like two years after the book was written i want to say it was like 1940 or something that that movie came out so i was just really impressed with what they did cinematically Hmm. so that that just kind of fascinates me how they how they did that and i think they did a pretty good mrs danvers which was the kind of more evil lady in there so 
I don't and know, no, liked it. And nobody got pecked to death by birds in that one. <laughs> no. Hmm. No, no. Or stabbed in a shower. Not that I'm aware of. Or was creeping on people in another building while sitting in a wheelchair. Yeah. Not quite. <laughs> That's a great movie, too. It really is. I, I love Rear Window. Um. So, uh, oh, Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> my wife oh, is man, uh, up in the window there. It's is, a wheelchair. <laughs> Sorry, I'm gonna stop. You did a good job of that. Uh, my, my wife is reading through a lot of the Jane Austen novels. She read Northanger Abbey, and oh, we started watching yes, the, so good. the movie. And the whole time, so it's been a few years since I read it, and so. I'm like, oh, I vaguely remember this. And she's the whole time, she's just saying, this is not how it happened. No, mm. this is not how it's supposed to happen. <laughs> and I, I've realized that maybe it's unpleasant to watch most movies right after reading whatever yes. it is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Even Lord yeah. of the Rings was. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It's a little difficult. Lord of the Rings is one of the best <laughs> movie yeah. adaptations. That there is now yeah. I, one thing I and will it still say, makes drastic changes to the story, drastic. Yes, there is. There's one author, Philip K. Dick, and I've read three of his books. I don't like them, but I enjoyed Man in the High Castle, the TV show, Man, way more than that. I enjoyed the book. I enjoyed Blade Runner way more than I enjoyed. Do Android stream electric sheet? I I don't understand why his the adaptations are great, but the his stories are not that good. He's not a good writer. the The no. stories are good, I guess. It's it's the, but they're not good. I don't I like. I thought it you were going to say Nicholas Sparks. Yeah, and Nicholas Sparks, the greatest writer of all time. <laughs> I, I don't. I mean, yeah, the Notebook movie is way the better than the I, Notebook book. I couldn't think of, I couldn't think of the Notebook. <laughs> I was like, "What is that movie?" <laughs> uh, the Notebook, yeah, I, they ruined it. it um, it's kind of funny to think about them ruining Northanger Abbey with a movie when, like, significant parts of Northanger Abbey are like how much people hate novels. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is really it, funny. It, it's a weird it is a weird adaptation i i recognize it it's got um well felicity jones right that is who it is yeah, yeah. i was My gonna cousin. call her the star Wars, but she's not the <laughs> she's not the one that it's she's in rogue one yeah she's the rogue one girl she also played uh stephen hawking's wife in the hawking biopic and then also somehow played um uh who's who's the 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 now late uh evil supreme court justice uh oh, ruth, oh, bader, ruth bader ginsburg, ginsburg. Yeah. yeah the wickedest woman in america which by the way if somebody has like a memorial of, of her on their social media profile i'm like avoid sus no thanks <laughs> <laughs> to the trash you go yeah. Um, well, I guess that is saying something for the 
for the Rebecca movie because I literally like I finished the book and I was like I need more I'm gonna look up this Hitchcock and I watched it and I loved it and then I watched the uh they had like a BBC I think it was which was actually rated R for a reason wow um just for like one little like 15 second scene in there but it was like from the 80s yeah, it couldn't have been too racy even back then. It, it was a yeah, a topless like moment. I was like, Yikes. well, that was not necessary whatsoever. But they did it because I guess getting rated R ratings in the eighties was what you had to do. Yeah, but uh, it was okay. I didn't like the the casting in that series as much but they did a little bit more of a faithful job in some areas that the hitchcock movie didn't but i definitely prefer the hitchcock movie over that didn't netflix do a, a rebecca too recently in the last I couple think years so. i haven't watched it i'm, I'm um, sure it's all jumped netflix. up too yeah uh knowing that netflix i don't know i mean maybe they could surprise me but maybe knowing that netflix did it and having read the book there's a lot that they could have run away with in the nefarious and the debaucherous because it's not in the book but it's like kind of implied some of the characters are up to no good and i'm yeah. sure that they would definitely yeah i've still never forgiven netflix for their dracula series thing that Ugh. that not only made dracula gay but they also turned uh jonathan harker into a vampire in it and i was just like shut up <laughs> shut entirely up <laughs> or the anna green gables oh yeah with the they lesbian don't... subplot yeah subtlety is not a valued by netflix it's like we let's put this in your face yeah, yeah. Uh, well, whatever yeah. I mean, generation not, not just... they they put i don't know yeah yes you're right Lack of subtlety Netflix. and Netflix and their ilk also every possible chance they can uh, re- recast somebody with a close friendship and turn it into a gay relationship. They will gladly do it yeah. every yeah. time, every time. It's and like nobody convince, really knows. They'll what... convince you. They'll try to convince you that that's what it was all the all along mm-hmm. and that they were just suppressing it. Because of oppression. But yeah, right. Yeah, you get to have a, an oppression narrative in, uh, slid in there as well. And we wonder why everybody's lonely because it's like everybody's either alone or gay for their friend <laughs> in all this yeah. media. Like, no wonder people are lonely. What is exactly. it, gay to have friends now? <laughs> in fact, uh, like, I was in a. Well, you want to go ahead, Nick? Well, I was just going to say, I- I'm not looking forward to whatever they're going to do with uh, Narnia. Uh-huh. Um, with Greta oh, Gerwig. I forgot about that. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, she made a terrible little women from what I've heard. They'll probably have uh, Prince Caspian, like, gay with the whatever that dwarf was. Or something. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be the new uh, Toriel uh, oh, <laughs> somewhat. <laughs> I, I probably bad. shouldn't give them ideas. They'll love it. Yeah. 
What were you going to say, Maddie? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I got distracted. (laughs) Romancing a gay dwarf. uh, Yeah. Totally hijacked your train of thought. Oh, I remember now. That triggered it. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I got into a conversation today about Michelangelo. And someone was saying, oh, yeah, he's he's a sodomized sodomizer homosexual made painted eve to be a man and all this kind of stuff and it's like it's the product of these people that are reading everything the like the literal platonic love like that's Mm -hmm. literally what michelangelo was doing when he wrote about the love of like other men and people it wasn't a romantic love yeah um yeah but but then our i guess generation i don't know our society the way we're trained to read about everything like you read love and then you hear and then that's all it is it's just a sexual romantic it's only eros there are no other there are no other loves it's all it's eros or loneliness yeah it was funny because i was looking that up and i was like am i like crazy here or was this not a thing and i found like articles where people are like trying to push the benefits of platonic love relationships like we need those again mm. it's like what it, yeah no duh yeah. like <laughs> maybe not like the whole philosophy behind it as christians necessarily yeah but like jonathan and david and yeah and people like that where it's like you can have very close friendships where mm-hmm. you truly love those people deeply and it's not gay it really is true it it manifests itself in men especially in a very different way i think because of all the like oh you're making it gay i think men in friendships the closer they are the more it sounds like they they just pretend that it's gay in a way i'm trying to think how to say this but it becomes kind of like a cover for that in a way you 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 know like just jokingly saying i love you right or things like that yeah that uh it is i think that has worked itself out in that way as a joking but it actually is um an indicator of close friendship yeah (laughs) yeah i wonder how much it I wonder how much of that has, like, I'm sure a lot of it has fed into the stupid transgender and all that kind of stuff with the young kids. Like, they're being told that if they deeply care about their friend, then they must be sexually attracted to them. They must have a crush on them. Yeah. 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 I don't know. It's sad. Boo on all that. Maybe they're all, is it demisexual? There's (laughs) one where it's like, you you are only attracted to people that you have a close relationship with or something like that it's like yeah okay like <laughs> duh <laughs> like <laughs> i can't yeah unless you're one of those creeps that can only do the casual thing yeah so uh, weird so- people have thought way too much about themselves but not introspectively <laughs> Like, how can you waste so much time, like, thinking about yourself to label yourself, but not actually be introspective at all is beyond me. Yeah. And it's like that 
I think it was coming out when they were doing like the different flag when it was like no longer cool to have just like the 19 colors and the trans flag it was like you had to have all these other yeah. it's like infinite like fracturing it's like this tiny little we're so individualizing and and labeling everything that it's like insane. yeah they're like the faintest little ribbons of color because they have to fit so many colors on for all these different these are all these different parts of the spectrum. Yeah. Well, and then and then they started adopting uh they started stealing from Ohio culture and put that little uh the little cutout in there along the side. <laughs> the triangle? as well to, to try to oh, yeah oh. to try to to try to mock the Ohio flag. Which will well, be the United Ohio States flag well. one day. <laughs> okay. It, you will be our vassals. <laughs> That's that's fair. Bow to your corn read, overlords. I also read the Moonstone. Which I read as well. Yes. It it sounds uh like you got into crystals. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Go for it, Nick. It's front heavy. Uh it's way better at the beginning, the first half is hmm. solid the second half is not as great the resolution is not as great it it it, it pioneered a lot of the detective tropes that we have and so hmm. I, ha I we have to give it credit the problem is is that we're coming after having seen those things become just a normal thing so yeah. Like listening to the Beatles. Yeah, it's hard to look at it in the fresh way that it probably was when it when it came out. Oh, it's an epistolary novel? Sort of, yeah. It, it, the One of the characters asks people to write about their experiences. Hmm. Um, so it, it takes the form of it. It's not actually letters i guess it's more just like like diary here's entries? what happened that day here's what yeah they're almost like diary entries um i guess that hmm. still counts but um it i thought it was pretty good especially uh mr betteridge the uh the first fellow who's writing who's i would say probably maddie would you say about like first half that he's the main yeah. uh and um it doesn't have it doesn't say a lot it doesn't like comment on the world or it doesn't have some kind of deeper meaning it's it's a story um but it was enjoyable it. yeah we I'm can sure find the deeper meaning i'm sure that you could <laughs> but quite a list of characters though it was it was a little difficult for me to keep track of but I think that was because it got long. Um, but yeah, I did. I'm the same. I, I really enjoyed the the beginning of, of it for sure. And I'm glad that I read it because it's pretty fascinating. If anything, it was like kind of reading that and then later reading some Sherlock and having a Dracula similar vein, you know, um, from different angles. Dracula has like the more epistolary 
aspect Sherlock obviously being more detective with Larry um so that was just kind of interesting to look at it like through a backwards lens to try to kind of see where you could see like the beginnings of that type of novel um but I did I did kind of lose interest in the story over time but it wrapped up fine so it definitely wasn't like terrible by any means but this wasn't my favorite it was probably too long for what it could have been i'll agree with that but i think that's it that i read nick anything else on top of the moonstone um I have read a few Agatha Christie novels. Um, they're short, and I love reading them in between other things. And uh, like your palate had, cleanser, yeah, because they're, they're just fun, and there's they're so many, and I probably will never read all of them. And so, just do. They're fun. Uh, I've been reading the Tommy and Tuppence stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year i have one left one novel left i've read there was a short story collection and i guess three novels um and it's good they they're funny they're fun characters they do they're i would say it's more spy than detective overall Hmm. uh but they're good um and i've also not like reading cover to cover but just kind of looking through a lot of uh, this book, Lorraine Bettner uh, wrote this book on Roman Catholicism and um, trying to uh, study up on some of the differences um, and uh, between biblical Christianity and and them. <laughs> so. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Um. See, since the last time we recorded, I read and com- I like com- actually completed uh, a book on uh, on John Keats called Keats: A Brief Life in Nine Poems in One Epitaph by Lucasta Miller. Uh, I actually did this one in audiobook, which was pretty cool. Um, so she reads each of the well, the the narrator. I I should say it's not it's not Miss Miller, but. Um, the narrator actually reads the full poem at the start of each chapter. And then it's sort of a blend of like literary analysis of the poem itself. And then uh, drawing some lines uh, from the poem and its themes and its images to particular periods of, of Keats's short, but, but uh, pretty literarily industrious life. Uh, I thought it was an interesting way to do uh, this type of biography uh, was really I really enjoyed it. I I'm probably gonna buy it in print and read it again later. Uh, really really liked it. So uh, really enjoyed that. There was there was a bit of woke stuff in there, of course. Um, yeah, but you know, I it was it was a kind of an interesting warts and all sort of picture of uh, who I, personally I think uh, maybe the second greatest. Uh, romantic poet behind Shelley. And Shelley and, was but, just a good man too. 
Yeah, I was going to say he might have been Keats might have been a little less of a fop <laughs> than than Shelley was. But um, by some accounts, not much less. Uh, very, very interesting. Uh, um, uh, a thoroughly atheistic guy, despite being brought up uh, a uh, an Anglican. Um, so very interesting. Um, I'm continuing to read. Uh, for the reading challenge, my post two thousands book, uh, it's a sci fi book, um, Red Planet Blues. Uh, there, there are some interesting themes. I don't know if you guys had ever. Do you ever hear of um, Altered Carbon? It's a novel, but it was adapted to a series on Netflix. Um, all of it's like a whole transhumanism thing, um, where people are able to transfer their consciousness into a new body uh something similar happens in this colony on mars in this novel there's a company called new you and uh but the new body you you uh, uh can download your consciousness into isn't a human body it's a mechanical body um doesn't have to eat doesn't have to breathe um and so a lot of people choose these bodies when they go to live on mars because you actually have to pay a life support tax uh, in this, you know, dome, basically bubble that they live in on the surface of Mars. So there's interesting dynamics. Uh, there's a guy who uh, apparently unalives himself. Uh, that might not be quite so simple um, with all these factors in play. So um, uh, I'm about a fourth of the way through it right now. It's it's definitely pretty interesting. It's it's pulpy. Uh, it's not great literature by any means, um, but it, but there's definitely some interesting uh, themes that are being uh, looked at. So, um, so I'm 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 enjoying that so far. Um, what else? I'm uh I'm reading a book. Um, actually, uh, it's with the men's group at church. Um, I actually have my copy of it right here that I'm actually enjoying. Um. Not that I wouldn't enjoy it, but I really am enjoying it. It's called Safe and Sound, Standing Firm in Spiritual Battles by David Paulison. And it's probably not going to – here we go. I don't know why my background always hates when I hold a book up. But um, it it comes a little bit from a biblical counseling background, uh, but it's actually been really, really good. It's short as well uh, in a nice you know, entry-level – discussion of what spiritual warfare is um how we can recognize it things we can do to engage in the battle and both on the defensive and, and even offensive side uh, which is uh, something we don't think about a ton so i'm really enjoying that at the same time uh also reading the quran which has taken a lot of my time and energy because it is incredibly difficult it, it's uh yeah i was i was hoping we'd be a little further along in it by now i'm reading it with one of the guys at church and uh never read anything quite like it i'll <laughs> i'll say that uh it is not good literature that's for sure uh unless you really like what's like difficult about it yeah it's like really stream of consciousness type type mm -hmm. stuff and It'll make references to things that like, or like references to like Moses or 
or even Jonah once uh, or Abraham. That'll be things that sound kind of like the Bible, but totally recast in a different way. Uh, and then just interspersed with like commands and reminders of rewards to come. And it's just like uh, like um, thematic whiplash. It's just bing, 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 bing. One thing after the next ping-ponging uh, sura to sura. Um, very repetitive. Uh, so it just, it's taken a lot of energy to, to read and, you know, pull some things out to, to talk about just a strange, strange work. I wonder if reading, I wonder if <clears throat> there is a way to read it. So the, the, the suras are organized by length, right? More or less. Yeah. The longest one was definitely the first. Um, and I think towards the end, they just are like, like a paragraph. Nothing. Yeah. The I wonder if there is a better organization system that would make a little bit more sense. You know, like a chronological Bible Maybe. exists. Maybe. Maybe there's like a, you if know, there were narratives, it would help. But they're really like, there's like interspersed narratives in different suras. Some yeah. suras don't even have narrative. It's like straight up instructions, like how to, how to structure your, uh, your will and uh what what children should inherit however much percentage of your of your property if it's a, a son versus a daughter um so it's just like this is weird there's no like book of proverbs you know what i mean there's no like genesis account but over the course i'm about halfway through it and i've been told two or three different times how god made man and each time it's a little different than the other. So just like, okay. Is there a lot of theology or is it more like work? Here's the commands. It's all, it's all yeah, it's commands. Like, it, it, like it'll be like a command. God is merciful. Um, Like for instance, it's, it talks about like, um, you know, God loves those who, um, who pray, who who say the prayers and give the prescribed alms. It uses that phrase prescribed alms constantly. I'm halfway through. It hasn't even told us what the prescription is, like how much to give. So it's like, give the prescribed alms. Okay, prescribe them, please. They have not been prescribed yet. So uh it's like, okay, well, I guess I don't I don't know where you get it. Uh whether that's coming from a uh, a commentary later or something, or if it's subtextual and that I and I just don't get it or what, but it still hasn't told me how much. So, so what you're telling me is that a book that was written over thousands of years by many different authors has a stronger story and theme and is better than one book that was written by a one guy and he couldn't, he couldn't organize it better. Well, uh, I will say to, to that. Yes. But for the one thing on the side of that one guy is that, <laughs> that demons aren't very good at getting their point across. <laughs> and, and maybe on, on the other hand, God is, Yes. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I think that's a fair assessment. <laughs> okay. Speaking of spiritual warfare. 
I wonder if if his demon was illiterate like Joseph Smith's. Could be. Maybe a lot of them are. Maybe they all are. His his at least was literate enough to take the name Gabriel to to give a little bit of credence. Whereas, you know, wherever Moroni comes from, that's a weird angel name. It's not it's not good when your angel's name contains the the word moron. Yeah. It's not good. Maybe that was like an accusation against Joseph Smith. My name's Moroni. You moron. I moron. I mean moron I. I He didn't realize it was an insult. (laughs) It's like Stephen Furtick with the unqualified book. Yeah. Oh, (laughs) You call me unqualified? I'll show you how unqualified I am. I'm going to write a whole book about it. (laughs) Oh, boy. So. Well, this well, evening, Nick, you uh, you had a couple uh, a couple important topics that you wanted to uh, to yeah. discuss. Is that right? I have a rant and then a question, and they're oh, not related. So the rant, Let's and I'll start rant. with that. The rant is, um, it's not really a rant. It's it's more like, um, I I. I think the English language is great and I think it's great for literature. I think it's great just in general. And I don't think it gets enough appreciation. So I thought I would just mention a few, a few of the ways in which I think the English language is one of the best. Now I'm going to start by saying that it is the most commonly spoken language in the world. So I looked it up, and everybody always says Chinese, that Mandarin is the most spoken language, but that's only primary speakers. If you count anybody, like, there are a lot of people who, you know, maybe Swedish is their first language, but they also know English. If you count people who have it as a secondary language, English wins. It's like 1.4 billion up to 2 billion people speak English. So. And, and Mandarin Chinese um, is is like a 1.1. So does that mean we need to, to change the phrase lingua franca to be lingua anglica? Well, maybe. But one thing that actually brings me to another point. That is lingua franca is not originally like an English, you know, we would say French language. Uh-huh. But one of the benefits of the English language is that it could just accept words. No problem. Just accept words from any language, pretty much. Like, I I could think of a few things where we have, like, some of the click languages in Africa. Like, I think we would have trouble incorporating those. But for the most part, we could just take words from any language and they just become English words. We might anglicize them a little bit, or we might just speak them you know the the same pretty much the same way that they were in the original language um or it might be both over time um or you might have you know some people saying the country of chile and other people are like chile um <laughs> i hate refuse, when people do that <laughs> who refuse to let things anglicize um so those are some of my uh, 
those are some of the first ones. One of the the great things about it being such a popular language around the world is that if something wasn't written in English, if it's translated, most likely it's in English. Uh, you know, you, you're not gonna, you're not likely to have something written in Spanish that gets translated into Swedish or uh, Chinese without getting translated into English as well. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's written in another language, it's getting translated. It's going to be in English. Um, and beyond that, we already have a sizable, respectable body of literature that is natively English. Like we have great poetry. We have uh, great, you know, we both the all you know, of the, the great British, novels were written in English. Yeah, I mean, there except were French for novels maybe and, Cervantes. It's there were some other ones, but we have a lot of it. And if we don't, then it's translated pretty much. Yeah, not every language, you know. I, I I'm sure that like Maltese, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think they have probably a great like. Oh yeah, Maltese literature. I don't know anything about it. Um, I did have that one falcon that one time that everybody wanted, (laughs) which is originally written in English. So, (laughs) um, and then other languages do have things, you know, Greek, but that was a long time ago. Yeah, Yeah, that's ancient. Um, English language is it's like some of the best stuff out there. Um, and kind of fitting into that is the english language retains its history so it's not consistent it's not centralized like french where it's you know here's how you spell here's how you pronounce even japanese like they're they have to have consonant vowel like those certain sounds that have to go together always and so like sometimes they'll translate words and it just sounds weird we can take in the word but we can keep that history with it so the thing i uh, the you know the pig pork cow beef thing that happened with the norman invasion where you have the the animal saxon name along with the food uh norman name yeah the ingredients are anglo-saxon and the meal is french basically right yeah 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 so cow is is a saxon word and beef is a it's a french word so we have we have history like built into things and there's meanings to them and then we have odd words and spellings um i was thinking about knife (laughs) like it used to be knife and we haven't pronounced it knife in a long time but and you get made fun of if you say it that way now. But we still have the K. Yeah. It's just fun to keep that history. Um, we have, you know, people can just invent words. William Shakespeare invented many words. He just invented them. Um, so we have stories and meanings and in these words. Um, I don't think that you could have had a Tolkien in any language other than english like he you could not have had a french talk here here um so and i I, part of that is that we don't have the strict rules and centralization that french does um it has rules you you know it's always pronounced this way 
except if it's this and we have some rules but they're you can you can change them if you want it's it's based on the speaker it's human level it's not like administrative bureaucratic level um it's a democratic language yeah it's a democratic language (laughs) and 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 it's got that character with those weird spellings and and weird uh phrases i was thinking about do you remember um the like 90s christian punk band goatee hook i uh, do oh, okay i'm so, so glad you bring this up <laughs> so that you know that word the first word g-h-o-t-i that's fish and it's i i, I didn't remember i don't remember exactly what it is it's like the gh in rough mm-hmm. and i don't remember what the o and is T-I supposed to be. as in like um like initiate yeah yeah um and so where the ti makes an sh sound yeah it's fish uh although they pronounced it in the band i think is goatee um anyway we we can (laughs) have that i'm like going down uh like (laughs) memory lane right now i'm so glad you brought them up (laughs) so that's that's the end of my my rant but i just wanted to to show some appreciation to the language that we're speaking right now, uh, because people will be like, Oh, to learn. It's like, yeah, it is, but that's because it has character. It has depth and history and, um, and flexibility that something like French or Italian, um, that has rules and set set rules doesn't necessarily have. So I agree. I love English. I think it's really cool just to see all the different influences that have affected the English language. I think that's like the most fascinating part of it. And I think also people get a little caught up with like the language as far as spoken language versus written. Because that's where you get a lot of those other rules as well in terms of spelling and things like that, where you can speak the language and not spell it the right way. Um, but it is, it's, it's like one of my favorite things to do is to go online and look up words and their etymology. It's like, it's like one of my top hits. Yeah on my searches i'll just like what is what is the etymology of this word what is the etymology of that word it's just really fascinating to see how we just kind of adopt in um a lot of words and run with it like you said yeah and it it is hard to learn um as a non-native language because we don't like our all our rules have exceptions Mm -hmm. (laughs) but you could take all the other languages for that that we've yeah come from they yeah with all the different inputs from other languages you'd have to have a long list of exceptions to to make it all work have you ever listened to those videos where they make it sound like they're speaking english but you can't understand it so you know what it sounds like to a yeah non-native speaker (laughs) they're correct by the way it sounds exactly like english yep it's so weird there was a song an italian guy made a song 
that was meant to sound like English. Yes. And it's it's basically like you remember Simlish from The Sims, the video game. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's just like gar- gobbledygook, like yeah, half half correct, half wrong words, but 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 it sounds right. Yeah. That's it was what like that a song major like. hit in Italy. In like the seventies, yeah. I think it was. It was very disco seventies like type music. Chart topping hit. And they were like, "Yep, yeah, this is totally American." <laughs> so funny. <laughs> and we're still listening to it. I could do that you with are. French. I think not right now, but <laughs> just make up French when when you're not tired. Yeah, I could just like make sounds that i think sound french but yeah. maybe other people don't i always wondered if like romstein was like pulling my leg and i thought we were just <laughs> listening to like just angry sounds it's not like actually german <laughs> probably we'll never know uh, yeah yeah uh your the rant on english reminds me of uh, a great book by john mccorder um it does have a cuss word in the title but our magnificent bleep tongue um the untold history of uh the english language uh the uh, or the untold history of english um and like the best thing don't read it get the audiobook because he'll do all the pronunciations of like uh dutch words icelandic words um and then branching into middle english like he'll show how like vowels were either clipped or lengthened um and and, and how we got the words that we recognize in in contemporary english uh, really good that's totally worth uh, an audible credit or however much it would cost to, to buy the audiobook i think it's like maybe 20 bucks um really really good So, we all like English. Yavo. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm gonna move on to my question, and I'm gonna start. I'm gonna ask it a little differently, uh, because I'm not entirely. I don't have data to back up this. This is this is feelings. Um, but if if this is the case, why is it that artistic type people? musicians poets writers even photographers why do they always seem like the most likely to apostatize um you know we we've seen it pretty often um in uh in christian music uh especially lately it kind of seems like christian musicians have gone through phases of deconstructing uh and and all of that but i also think that it's it seems just likely amongst artistic kind of people like the people that i went to college with who were more artistically inclined also seem to have gone in that direction um not it's not a rule obviously but why is it that that seems likely
Well, I have I have one thought, and I think this is one thing. I have other thoughts, but I'll start with this one, um, and and throw mine my other one in later. Um, I think on the musical front, um, one of the common denominators, uh, and this is this is true of of any musical artist, um, but especially of the Christian ones, um, touring and doing live shows. Um, whether these guys are in a rock band, but even even the praise, quote unquote, praise band leaders and worship leaders, um, they're touring and they're not part of a local church. Uh, they miss out on uh, local church life. Uh, they're not being regularly taught by a faithful pastor. Um, their souls aren't being cared for by their pastor uh, and, and elders. Uh, they're not receiving ministry in the ordinary means of grace. Um, they may even see themselves as, you know, uh, ministering in their own way in a self-appointed way through their music, for example. And so the the more that you're isolated from from an actual church, you know, the higher likelihood of of being influenced by by bad influences. Uh, whether it's your own pride and thinking you're you're smart and you're an innovator and you figured out theological problems and in orthodox theology uh, can't cover it, or you just get bored and and you go on onto something else. But I think being being necessarily divorced from the local church uh, for for the sake of touring uh, is a big part of at least the musician side. I think some of my thoughts would be one generally speaking more artistic people are bigger feelers um, they just seem to be more guided by their emotions and feelings so sometimes that type of personality or something might be more inclined to follow those you know just what feels right or feels good or kind of just being a little bit more of a slave to sentimentality um obviously that's painting with a broad brush but i think that's just generally pretty true for most artists um and but then on that side i i think it's too that we've kind of divorced art from like logic and learning um in that way and i think that contemporary christianity is not aesthetic right so it's it's like we've kind of created that monster a little bit i think where it used to be that people gen generally like if you're theologically trained Mm -hmm. um, then you express that in your art yeah but it it seems like our culture generally is like kind of the reverse like express first think later maybe mm -hmm. um and there's just that and i think that bleeds into the the church side of things where well and then also like kind of adjacent to that it just kind of reminds me of like the south park thing where you know <laughs> they they can make it big 
on the Christian charts because it's an easier <laughs> pool. And then when they get a little bit bigger and famous and they just kind of go on and, and just the, all the warnings in scripture about. Um, I love it when Cartman started the Christian band. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about where they're like, just change the dating songs to, to Jesus. About Jesus. <laughs> so that was definitely true in the nineties. Like yes. for sure. Yes. Um, and in, in some ways still true today, but for sure the 90s were like really cringy when you look back mm-hmm. um in that yeah. and and south park really called them out on that they were right part of it. yeah south park was right about that yeah so i think that's kind of why we see a lot i mean even elisa childers talks about that in her own experience you know being a christian artist yeah. touring there just wasn't a lot of theological training they were just kind of like thrown in it like sing these and then christians wanted their own genre of music and they were just kind of fed to the wolves that way so it just makes me makes me think of the biblical warnings against greed and and stuff like that so that can be a big temptation for artists that get big um because they never really had a really strong foundation they were just kind of thrown in it and who knows how many of those songs they actually wrote themselves i don't know depends well, and, and we've had a big, you know, uh, secular sacred divide, too. So you couldn't have you couldn't have a Christian who made who just made good music. In a Christian way, like to God's glory, even if it wasn't like in order to do that, it had to be like a a, a contemporary worship song, you know, and if you were a Christian that was going to make music that wasn't that then it had to appeal to the the you know or be a cover um a stylistic cover of some secular band that was popular at the time uh, almost like a parody like a christian parody um but then really there we, was also that theme of like being like we're not a christian band we're christians in a band yeah and those people are i don't know i'm gonna not just make up anymore. a statistic yeah but those people are not christians anymore uh i don't know so that one could go either way um yeah i think the music the music is like especially significant i think with just how easy it is to make music and record i mean that's a fairly new phenomena really i mean like for millennia like you couldn't record your music you, right. It had to be played live. Yeah. Um, and so now it's just kind of like the same thing with social media and people like you can just put your opinion out there however you want. So you can have total amateurs theologically singing yeah. Christian songs. Right. Then you get similar. <laughs> the uh, the the lesbian uh, Christian singer uh, that toured with. Reliant K and Switchfoot, for example, because now you also don't have labels in the way of your music either, because you can yeah. self self publish or uh, self release, whatever you want to call it, indie indie release your songs directly to the internet. And so, at least in the past, although it, it was a good and bad thing, but you know you did have that gatekeeper you had to go through uh, at the label, and if the label didn't like you, then you you didn't get out. Um, 
and sometimes the labels were just as beholden to, you know, worldly ideas and standards um, as the artists themselves. But um, but there was a bit of curation there, um, especially on a theological level, for sure. Um, I think another thing, too, is one of the things that I think makes artists susceptible to, you know, deconstruction or deconversion, you know, whatever you want to call it, is... Um, you know, art is always looking for something fresh, always trying to not do the same thing over and over again, to be innovative, um, to push the boundaries even a little bit, to to be edgy, um, and just to be original. And trying, I think it might be difficult for, for people who are trying to do that with their own work, but then also slot themselves into an historic religion uh, that has doctrines that have stood, you know, for, for 2000 years um, could see that as confining. Um, so like you, you've got people like, like Michael Gungor uh, openly calling himself a heretic on, on Twitter. I mean, at least he's, at least he realizes it because yes, he is one um, or, or, or Dustin Kensrew of, um, uh, Oh man, I can't believe I'm blanking on. I love his band, um, the Modern Pose. Thrice, uh, he he's into process theology now, which basically is deconstruction, um, open theism, and all that kind of stuff. God God learning as he goes along, and God Himself is in process uh, alongside us as we are in processes as well. Um, just really gross, gross stuff, and I do think some of the temptation is. You know, we're trying to do something new all the time, writing new material, uh, changing our sound um, for for people, for visual artists, you know, changing, changing their medium. Uh, um, you know, I, I think they, they end up doing the same thing with their beliefs as well. It's kind of rare that you get a guy like uh, Makoto Fujimura. You, you, you guys know that guy? His, have you heard that name before? Um, he's a Christian. He actually partnered with Crossway um, on the on a particular anniversary of the King James Bible. They did um, uh, an edition called the Four Holy Gospels, and it was a big, big honking um, coffee table sized book of it. So it's the ESV text of the Four Gospels, but interspersed with art that he did. Um, so he's a Christian artist based in New York, and he did um, full size, uh, full size paintings. Uh, this is you know contemporary art, so it's not depictive in any way, uh, blending colors and different textures and things. Uh, and then he did his own like illustrated, um, illuminated drop caps. You know, kind of like how they would do like a big gothic uh, letter for that first first letter of a paragraph. Um, he made handmade those uh, in paint, uh, and they use those in that text as well. And so I kind of see him to a certain degree as a counterpoint to the uh, to the deconstruction angle because he, here he is, he's trying to get along in the contemporary art world, um, doing a good job, um, you know, is is somewhat um, somewhat effective. 
uh, and respected in his field, and yet also is contributing art to an edition of the Bible. Uh, so it's just sometimes I think it depends on the individual heart too. Or do you care more yeah. about making a name for yourself, like you were saying, Maddie, making money? And if you've got to jettison Christ in order to do that, then you know, come what may. Uh, or are you somebody who really wants to make great art for God's glory all the way? Uh, I, I, I had one thought that is sort of similar, but it is that we don't have as many great examples of people. Um, you know, when we think of artists, uh, when we think of painters, we think of Van Gogh, who never married or had kids and like killed himself and was starving. We think of starving artists or we think of somebody like Shelley. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we think about these people that we don't have a lot of great examples of someone who. And I'm sure that we could come up with dozens of them right now, but the examples that we have that come to mind immediately, when I say poet and you think of Shelley, you think of this guy, when you think of painting, you think of Van Gogh, it, they're not the the ones that immediately come to mind um, where they are people with a family. I mean, maybe Dickens, when you think of novelists, but where they have but a he family. he left his family too. <laughs> oh, I, didn't, I don't even know. Yeah. Um, so he did have a family, but he left them high and dry at one point. Oh, okay. Well then, yeah, same deal. <laughs> so I think the examples, and, and when you think of like popular music, you think of the Beatles, yeah. Elvis, like, I don't know, you know, Rolling I mean, Stones, Rolling Stones. We could think of a bunch of people that are involved in popular music. And, uh, I don't know that looking at the life of John Lennon is, in my opinion, is not a good example. Um, so both not a good example of being a good man or a good artist let's be real yeah um lennon was mid at best amen um (laughs) george harrison uh, was the greatest beetle i'll I'll that's where i'll take my stand no no paul mccartney's (laughs) just an old woman he is a great bassist though I liked second McCartney. Um, yeah. <laughs> the first one died. We all know that. Yeah. That, one, yeah. that one's dead. The new, the new uh, McCartney's good. Um, but I don't, and I don't know who in Christian music is the person that we would look to. <laughs> I, Michael I don't know w. enough. Smith. I, I think he's still within. I don't know. I have no idea. So yeah, yeah. he's fine. Um, but it might be that the examples that first come to mind when we think of like the greats, they usually didn't live well. So um, I don't know. It's a question that probably there are multiple answers and there isn't one good answer, but it seems like there's a a lot of times the greats were only great after they were dead. Yeah, it's not always true, but kind like of Joyce Kilmer. Especially... 
especially for like the artists and stuff they got more popular after they were dead um but a lot of that had to do with just like kind of philosophical movements also you know just the different movements and the way their art was influenced by that yeah I wonder I if there's a, a a pride angle there too, even even for an artist that like never made money, you know, like like Van Gogh to go back to him, you know. So he sold some paintings in his life, and people knew who he was, but he wasn't, you know, he didn't have any like social cachet in his in in his world, and yet there was a a certain amount of pride there to keep going instead of do something instead of doing something more practical and make a living. Uh, he was going to pursue the art even if it killed him and it kind of did. And I wonder if that, that drive becomes sinful for some of those, some of those folks and brings them to ruin, you know, being passionate about your work is one thing, but to, to be so like the art, you know, art is taking something within you and putting it out there for other people's consumption. Right. Um, there's a bit of the artist in every work of art, whether it's a song or a painting or, or whatever the thing may be. Right. They're taking something for, of themselves and putting it out there. Uh, and I think there's a certain amount of pride in that act um, that, that can be sinful. Uh, and and really destroy people from the inside out. Do you think, like, to be truly great, um, in in one of those areas, almost? Do you think that it requires it? You know, I think about, like, for example, like a basketball player. You know, the amount of practice and effort that you have to put in to become a great basketball player mm -hmm. it takes your life and you don't yeah. have time for other things you don't have time for family you don't have time to go to church you are playing basketball do you think yeah. that it's the same with the arts where to be considered one of the greats you actually do have to almost maybe not necessarily but you have to pretty much make that sacrifice yeah no, I, I do, and I think this is where the significance of the passage of time comes in because as, as that artist goes along <laughs> – sorry. <laughs> I thought I was going to make it through, and I couldn't. <laughs> 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 but uh, but so if you're leaving it all out there, you know, if you're leaving it all out on the court or every time you practice or, or everything goes on the canvas or – or, or into logic pro or, or, or whatever over time, you know, there's so much, you have taken so much of yourself uh, and put it into that instead of perhaps other, other things that you are responsible before God for doing you, you sacrifice um, God given responsibilities for the sake of this one thing um, that is destructive. And I, and, and over time, uh, you know, it, it will more of you will be on the canvas or or on the on record or, uh, you know, wherever more of you will be there than with 
your family or the people the people that God's called you to to be in community with um not going to church not being at dinner to eat with your with your spouse and your children uh you you end up sacrificing in those ways for yourself for posterity um and maybe to make a great amount of money in in the meantime and I think a lot of artists have used that as their, well, this is how I support my family. So if I'm not putting 150% into this, I'm letting my family down. Maybe, maybe not, uh, <laughs> you know, cause they still need to, you still need to see the family you're, you're trying to support too. Um, otherwise you run into a, a breaking bad type scenario. Uh, <laughs> some people will get that. Um, I don't know. That that's that's my spitball take, I guess. All right. I don't think that we have a full answer, but I think those are good. Like sides of the prism. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's an interesting contrast to when you think of somebody like Lewis or Tolkien who their art was a reflection of their beliefs mm -hmm. and could not be divorced from it. Um, and they are truly great. Like if you want to talk about great Christian artists in terms of literature, uh, it's hard to imagine how they could have written what they wrote without their faith. Yeah. Um, and they didn't. Maybe there isn't even a, maybe, I mean, maybe I'm just, it just seems like it to me. But Well, I see it less with the authors. Definitely the music, for sure. It's a good um, thing Zach's not here, so we can talk about wonder, him behind his back. Yeah, we'll have to lay hands on him and make sure that he doesn't <laughs> stray from the faith. Put a yeah. hedge of protection around him. I wonder if... One common theme there with those guys, aside from being believers, both wrote children's literature as well. And I wonder if wonder if their their eagerness to write something for children as well as a popular audience, even though both were men of the academy and very well could have lived in the ivory tower. Um if that's part of how they were able to endure um, not saying that it was an act of service, but there is a bit of humility in like a very learned person, you know, very learned men like they were who did write um, great works of fiction that displayed their, their worldview Um uh, in very in very different ways, uh, um, mirrored the gospel uh, in their stories. Um, Lewis in a very like concrete way, and Tolkien in a little less concrete uh, and more. Um, but then to take that down to the children's level on both of their in both of their cases, I think that shows something different than say the artist who is out to just like be as obtuse as possible and like oh, 
only the, only the really smart ones get me, you know, kind of thing. Like these guys were planning to be heard and understood because they had a message that wasn't about them that they were trying to get out there. Um, <clears throat> not only were they, you know, trying to tell a good story in the various things that they wrote, but, but really to get a message across, uh, that wasn't look how great I am. And honestly, most of our music today is all about like how great I am or how sad I am or, uh, you know, how rich I am, you know, how many guns I can shoot or, or name in one song or, or, you know, uh, pointing back at me. Although ironically it is tailored very much to like youth. <laughs> it's not <laughs> That's <true>. like, <laughs> it's, yeah. uh, you know, like if, if you listen to popular music, even I, and I, I'm using popular music in the most broad sense. A lot of it is tailored to twenties or younger. Yeah. Um, even Adult, it, adolescence, even if you're talking about like, you know, something that's clearly not for kids, it's still <laughs> like for youth. It People don't write um, <laughs> a lot of music for like middle-aged people. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we just listened to the music that was popular like 20 years ago yeah 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 i think there's it's weird how that is like but it's it's written gnostically for the youth like it's written in a way that yeah. only young people can understand but they don't always understand because the music that i listened to when i was that age and i listen to now i'm like okay <laughs> i was allowed to dance to this in my seventh grade middle school dance okay <laughs> yeah yeah i don't know but the blink 182 songs like... i listen to oh yeah <laughs> Ugh. i don't know i think like when you're asking the question too of just apostatizing it's like you're talking about christians not just artists but it yes and and that was the original thing but even Christian music does kind of seem, again, a generalization, but a lot of it does seem childish. Like if you listen to like yeah. contemporary worship music, it's real shallow, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, I, they may say that the audience is, is different levels, but it's not it's not exactly it it's just it's real shallow it's not like oh yeah this really compares with like isaac watts or charles wesley other than mm -hmm. the gettys i'll give yeah. them some credit um and a few other people uh but for the most part you're like this is real shallow <laughs> mm -hmm. well mm -hmm. we as a society are shallow yeah like That's we're fair. all kind of stupid like yeah we just uh my son his history curriculum which i love has a lot of um original sources and we just read patrick henry's give me liberty or give me death and we were all just like this is nuts like <laughs> this is how people talked back then like here we are and and i encountered a lot when i like i glow over how much i love victorian novels 
Um, and I talk to other people and they're like, oh, it's, I can't, it's too difficult. I can't. And it's not generally because they're actually like stupid. Like people think that they're stupid because they can't read it. I'm like, no, you're not stupid. You just have to develop like endurance yeah, and a little bit of, it takes time. Like you're not going to just jump into Victoria, not like Jane Eyre and just like understand every word that she writes. Cause we don't talk like that. We don't read like that anymore. Yeah. You can pick up, and sometimes I do like to pick up a more current novel because it's so easy to read. It's not mm-hmm. hard. Um, yeah. but but the problem is is that we've done we've done that with like literally everything. Like we're a culture of convenience. So it's the same with the music. It's like they've figured out, like they've keyed into the like the music that like brainwashes you and they don't even have to have very good lyrics you just all of a sudden everybody's crying in their car listening to a song that's like shallow (laughs) and then we have no idea what classical music is or opera is or yeah and i'm just as guilty of that as as anybody else but oh for um, sure like i'm yeah because that stuff's just not easy to listen to even though it sometimes gets called easy listening you know, classical music is background music now. The people used to go to the theater to listen to that actively. And now mm-hmm. it's background music? I don't think so. Yeah. You know, when, when you were talking about deconstructing artists, one of the, the case in point that I think of is actually a, a not super recent story. Uh, it was before the pandemic, I know. So it was before 2020. But um, you guys remember the, the Christian band Hawk Nelson? Mm-hmm. Um, their lead singer said he didn't believe in God anymore, uh, and he made a big. Um, it was it was in an Instagram post that was screenshots from the Notes app on his phone. There were about five or six. No, it was longer than that. I think there were like eight screenshots, and he started detailing out like all these questions that he had that never he never got an answer to about God. And um, and I actually went through it on a blog. I wrote so many blog posts answering all of them. They all had an answer. They were all basic Christianity questions, you know, um, ideas of the problem of evil. Um, there was some stuff about election in there. Um, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? Um, very entry-level classic questions that the Bible has answers to, but nobody had ever taught him. And he, he hadn't been in a church because of – touring with a band so not saying that he would have been taught by his uh you know evangelical pastor at whatever church he might have gone to had he been home um but uh, that gets to the the shallowness thing that you were mentioning maddie too because there are people out here claiming to be christian uh and making big money off of being a professional christian basically being in a christian band that actually don't know the basics of the faith it's easy to deconstruct when you might not have ever actually repented and believed at all in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly something I was thinking of was we don't catechize our kids anymore. Like little kids knew way more theologically than most adults that have been in church for 30 years. know today, myself included growing up, like, 
and you know my my parents definitely tried to instill the scripture and i think mm-hmm. they did a pretty good job with that but there wasn't that deeper discussion or working it out like you were saying and and so yeah it's a lot of times a lot of times not maybe every time but a lot of time you read somebody who's leaving and deconstructing and you read their explanation why it's like you don't really even know what you're talking about like there are like your aunt you're asking questions that there are answers to sometimes you're asking the wrong questions and sometimes it's just obvious you don't want to hear the answer (laughs) yeah and that says a lot yeah on on the catechizing one other story and then and then i'll i'll shut up for a minute uh this evening i went to an event at a at my local theater uh, a group from the community was was doing a selection of uh edgar Allan poe's works in a reader's theater format uh one of the members at church was in the cast and so i went there uh, other people from church were there and so uh, several of our teen boys were sitting behind me uh, at the theater and in one of the skits that they were doing it was a it was actually a um a parody um satire type skit that poe had written i think called lionizing or lionize something like that and um at the beginning uh the guy asks the main guy asks you know what is my life's chief end and uh he had discovered that his chief end was studying noses and especially um, the greatness of his own nose uh, it it was really funny. The whole skit was incredibly funny, um, but it's so random. It's super random. But anyway, so I say that because at the end of it, so they came back to that question at the end. You know what what's what's the chief end of my life? And so we applauded when it was done. I turned around to the guys behind me and I said, uh, "What's the chief end of man?" And all of them were like, "To glorify God and enjoy Him forever." I'm like. There we go. So, like we got to have a catechism moment at an Edgar Allan Poe reading, uh, but but those parents had done the work, you know, and uh, and and God's, you know, grown a lot of fruit uh, on those trees, and it's just really cool. Poe lived in a world where he knew. I mean, I'm I'm sure that that was an actual reference to you know like it wasn't an accident that he has that in there and so i'm pretty sure he did have access to some of that and yeah it would have been general knowledge i i don't remember i don't know if this is 100 percent true or or anything but i remember somebody saying that the the larger catechism is supposed to be the adult one and the shorter catechism is supposed to be for the kids and I'll tell you, that is the one thing that makes me feel so dumb mm-hmm. is when when somebody says, yeah, the now the larger catechism, that was for the adults to memorize, but the, the little kids, they could do the shorter. It's like, yeah, uh, I'm not sure about that. Uh... I... Well, I'm a Baptist. I don't need to do any of it. <laughs> Even if you are a literary one, you're still a Baptist. Yeah just baptist uh uh but um yeah catechism is important and yes i need to do a better job of it and i do i feel like we need to catch up 
catechize your kids so that they can be baptized upon profession of faith. I'm a third of the way there. (laughs) Well, any, uh, any concluding thoughts? Have we, have we figured out this problem? One more problem solved. Yeah, it's, it's solved. (laughs) Fantastic. Um, Maddie, did you want to plug something? You don't have to. I can cut it out, but if you wanted to, well, you could. If this is going out sometime before the seventh uh, of November, it will. Then I will absolutely plug. Um, <laughs> for our adoption, if anyone is still listening and wants to hear about it, um. So we're pursuing adoption from Columbia um, and we're in the middle of that process and we actually entered a fundraising campaign because adopting internationally is not cheap. And uh, we actually made this really goofy video. I had the grand idea of doing, we had to do a video entry to get into the top 10 and I just could not get it out of my head that I wanted to do like a Family Matters parody. they sent us like examples of other families that had one in the past and none of like they were all very serious and like emotional (laughs) and stuff and I was just like I don't know I just wanted to do a family matters thing so we (laughs) talked about it for a couple days and I was like I think we should just do it and you know if they look if they look at it and we're like oh these guys are jokers and just blow us off then whatever at least it was fun um but we did it it came out really great and uh we found out uh, Monday that we're not supposed to tell anything until Wednesday, but that's fine. It's tomorrow. This already come out after that. So no big deal. But uh, we found out that we made the top 10. Nice. So by making the top 10, now we're in this like crazy um, campaign mode where we have to pimp out t-shirts <laughs> for lack of a better word. But in order to vote for our family, you have to buy a shirt. In the past, they said that they would just, um, you know, share shirts to sell to raise money, but then you can just vote. But they're like, ultimately, they weren't able to really help a lot with the adoptions because people would just vote and not buy a shirt. So the buying of the shirt goes into the big pool pot of money and whichever family sells the most shirts and gets the most votes will win up to $30,000 towards their adoption campaign and that would be awesome um and actually they said last year enough of the families um got enough shirts sold that they were actually able to fund fully fund two adoptions wow so yeah and then every other family still got a few thousand dollars each so all of it matters so we'll put the uh link in the show notes where you can go to our page and you should as i've been told you could actually see our video so if you really want to see our cheesy family matters <laughs> intro video um i've been told that's supposed to be linked with uh our little shop so if you want to nice. support our family a reformed baptist family adopting from columbia we'll catechize that kid too <laughs> and uh based yeah so he'll he'll get it 
And uh, we're super excited. And then you'll, if you watch the video, you can learn a little bit more about our adoption. And I will be trying to figure out how to become a social media influencer over the next seven days. Which you, I'm more of a this. meme person, but you know, <laughs> I might just stay in my lane and just do a lot of parodies on like 90s. I don't know. Stuff. Memes are meme pretty people influential. Are influencers? Well, it can't me, meme. Mima, some t-shirt sales. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> we need this to go far and wide, which is actually what the shirt says. We didn't design it or anything. It's all the same shirt for everybody, but it says far and wide on it. So share awesome. it far and wide. Based. It's going in go. the notes. We'll try to make it as easy as possible to show some practical love. Yes. All right. A little well, bit goes a long way. For sure. For sure. All right. Well, thank you both very much as always. And uh, may Monway keep you in the one and peace out. <laughs>